And welcome to the inaugural episode of Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we explore the paranormal, fringe science, spirituality, and more, all from a scientific standpoint. Yes, when they make the claims, we show up and ask the questions, so you don't have to. I'm your co-host, Ross Blotcher. And I'm your co-host, Carrie Poppy. And today, we come to you from the Center for Inquiry Los Angeles to tell you about our brief romantic interlude with the allegedly ancient teachings of Kabbalah. So Ross and I both live in the Los Angeles area, which is home to the headquarters of the Kabbalah Center, which was founded in 1965, with the L.A. branch opening in 1984, just a couple years after Ross and I were born, incidentally. Mm -hmm. And that's where many students of Kabbalah have studied, including several celebrities like Madonna, Ashton Kutcher, Demi Moore. So the Kabbalah Center takes a modern approach to Kabbalah teachings and may differ from teachings associated with other branches of Kabbalah. It's usually supposed to be more studious, but I think this is more of the pop psychology uh, kind of presentation of Kabbalah. Nevertheless, the Kabbalah Center continues to be influential and to attract followers of all stripes with the promise of wealth and happiness. Uh, I don't think you'll be learning how to raise a golem in their classes. (laughs) All right, so we found out about this because, uh, well, I found out about it when I saw an ad for the best-kept secret talk on Facebook. And, Ross, you had heard of it before, right? Right. Um, so we went to this once. We went in, in March of 2010. Right. Yeah, we wanted to uh, go again. We didn't know the last time we went that we would be telling anyone about it. Right. Uh, and our first our first journey was such a joy. We really wanted to repeat yeah, the that's experience. True. We I had think. a good time there. And and this tells you a little bit about who we are as people that we actually enjoy doing that sort of thing. Right, absolutely. So right before we went this time, uh the teachers from the center actually called us to confirm uh that we were coming. And I had this <laughs> this very awkward rehearsed sort of interaction with the woman who called who had this very practiced cheerfulness about her where she was like hey oh carrie hi it's Susie calling from the cabal center oh how are you um it was very uncomfortable <laughs> but i agreed to go anyway and one of the reasons that i committed to going ross was that they said they would have coffee and tea which will be key that's a promise in this story yeah yeah, she called me too, but she got my answering machine, and, and she sounded fine. You heard it. She sounded okay. Yeah, she was not as excited about you. Right, okay. I mean, which Fair is, enough. you know. Before we attended our talk, we wanted to get a little background on what Kabbalah is and what it teaches. We learned that, in our understanding, Kabbalah is in essence an offshoot of Jewish mysticism. It is monotheistic and teaches that there is a God who brought the universe into being and that most of what we experience is actually an illusion of the senses, and that the only true reality is the divine reality, or the reality that God experiences. Kabbalah means to receive in Aramaic, referring to the special knowledge that you receive. The substance of Kabbalah consists of these hidden messages that are within the original Torah. Uh, They are expounded upon in various books, including the Book of Formation, which is attributed to Abraham himself. Even though the patriarch is guessed to have lived from Uh, the 19th century BCE to the 17th century, somewhere in there. There's no evidence of there actually being a written Hebrew language until about 800 years later. Although, to their credit, they did uh, sort of waffle on whether it was written or spoken. So Right. We we had a previous mentor, who we'll talk more about later, who was very, you know, definite. Oh, yes, <laughs> Abraham wrote it. Absolutely. Right. And, and he wrote it, even though this was before writing. He wrote it. 
So another one of the primary texts of Kabbalah and the one that would be brought up repeatedly at the Best Kept Secret Seminar is the Zohar, which was originally written in a dialect of Aramaic. So Zohar means splendor or radiance, and it comes in about 24 volumes, if we remember right. Um, We didn't actually see it in the bookstore, which is interesting. It's one of the most important, apparently, books that God has given us, but it got bumped out for Madonna's four children's books. Well, they keep referring to it. Like when we talk to them, they say, oh, I was studying the Zohar the other day, kind of like, you know, a Christian would talk about Bible The Bible, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, but we didn't see any on offer. I'm assuming they, you know, want to withhold it. So you don't just buy it and study it Yeah, just find out all the secrets yourself and go home. I wonder if they have a Kindle edition. (laughs) <laughs> you should find out. Um, so it's taught that the lessons of the Zohar were transmitted orally from God to Abraham and others, and eventually transcribed by Shimon Bar Yochai, who was inspired by the prophet Elijah. The Zohar was kept secret for 11 centuries before Moses de Leon, yes, you heard me, Moses de Leon, translated the work for the masses. Some academics hold that the Zohar itself was actually authored by Moses de Leon himself, and is thus a fraud from the get-go. So, like many other historical relics and writings, it just kind of appeared without provenance, and so, you know, we should be a little suspect. Followers of Kabbalah, of course, believe just the opposite. Right, so we we got to the center, and in, in my opinion, it was this very beautiful building. It was immaculately maintained, and you could tell that these people have money or this organization has money. Would you say that's right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it fit in on Robertson Boulevard down there. I don't think I would have noticed it driving by, but once you get inside, then yeah, everything is really nicely laid out. The bookstore is pretty fancy looking. For sure. So, and speaking of the bookstore, we actually had to walk through it to get to the class. A very clever um, scheme there. Yeah. Well, we should talk about, you know, how you walk in and there's people at tables. They're ready to meet you. They give you a name tag immediately and they're very friendly. And then they kind of pass you through into the bookstore, like you say. And so there's many different things. Of course, one of them is the Kabbalah water. Yes. And- I-, I kind of wish we hadn't seen it right away. It was my favorite thing in the whole store. And we saw it first. Felt like we blew our load <laughs> we're, we're drawn to that kind of thing yeah, just because you know it's so pseudoscience to have your own water on offer. so this was four dollars and fifty cents four dollars and fifty cents right for a that's as much as a latte or a mocha the mocha that i'm drinking right now was like 475 i tell you it's a lot more expensive than gasoline for your car yes <laughs> for the quantity you get we examined the label it said over the millennia, ancient Kabbalists understood water to be the source of all cleansing. Making use of Kabbalistic meditations, we can further enhance the water's innate, life-giving, restorative properties the way nature intended. And then it says how your purchase of the water supports activities of the Kabbalah Center. It says that the source of the water is a Quebec. And it also gives a disclaimer, uh, maybe to their credit, it says, the producer and distributor of this water do not claim any specific physical benefits that might be achieved by using it. (laughs) Persons suffering physical ailments are urged to consult with their physicians. Yes, sort of a double-handed message there. On the one hand, we'll cure all your ailments. On the other hand, no, we won't. Yeah, don't sue us (laughs) (laughs) if it doesn't happen. But I I do appreciate that they tell you not to forsake your actual medicine. Touché, touché. So there were also just a bunch of other things that you could buy. $50 rings with one of the 72 names of God. So you could spend, you know, $3,000 on all the rings. And, of course, there were lots of books of many different sorts. There's one called Nano and... Yeah, Nil. (laughs) I don't remember that one. Okay. Anyway. Um, But, of course, we can't forget the most important uh, accoutrement of... 
of being a Kabbalist, and that's the famous the red string, the red string, which right. which maybe our listeners have seen on celebrities and things. People wear them on their wrists like a bracelet. And as you may have heard, it's supposed to ward off the evil eye. The evil eye, which is apparently the look of greed or, or uh, jealousy, ill will. Oh, jealousy! I think jealousy. was the main thing, right? That you know, the people. Oh, didn't they talk the first time we went like about people who drain energy? Yeah, from that you? that people will kind of as they envy you, they drain your positive energy out of you, right? And by so, some means. And so th- what this does is it absorbs it. I was wondering if it like deflected it or something, but apparently it absorbs it, which concerns me slightly because you're wearing this thing. Actually, I'm wearing mine right now, and it is absorbing <laughs> this negative energy, and it's right around which I am shooting at you. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, and, and this lady came up to talk to us. She became very excited when we were standing by the red bracelets. They're $24. $24. And in a little um, in a little cardboard satchel thing that tells you where they're from. Right. Now, next to all the $24 ones, mm-hmm. there was a large ball of twine. That was, <laughs> it was red. It looked more like just red yarn. Right. But they had it there, and some of it was cut up. And so I grabbed a piece, you know, because it was just kind of freely associated and, and took it and that's what and, and took it yes and so that's what i'm wearing now so i don't know if it's fully effective but i did have people give me the evil eye and i didn't feel any <laughs> effects and and as the woman was describing to us about the evil eye and and how this was so effective um she was actually saying oh you know when a woman walks into a room and she gives me the up and down i can feel its power and i was giving her the most insane intense glare just <laughs> Just trying to test it out. And I kept thinking, oh, God, Ross, look at me and burst out laughing. I'm but so you glad didn't. I did not notice you doing that because <laughs> I would have burst out laughing. That would have been awkward. So um, uh, It was still my goal. Luckily, I was paying attention to her. But she was saying how the string itself isn't originally red. We found that out. Right. That it's a white string, but it's dyed red. That's important. Mm-hmm. And then it's tied around the tomb of Rachel. The biblical matriarch. Right. Which is, you know, it's what's believed to be her tomb. And I guess it's in Bethlehem. So we looked up the history of the string a little bit. And we found that uh, there is an ancient tradition uh, regarding a charm that is more fertility based that it's supposed to ward off diseases even. So we didn't see anything about the evil eye. Right. So so the string has a long torrid history of maybe doing many, many things. Uh, but at some point recently, it morphed into absorbing the evil eye. And we were trying to ask her questions like, well, how is this that we are projecting energy through our eyes? Because she very clearly said that energy was being like mm-hmm. transmitted. Right. And so I was like, well, how is this being generated? So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say one more thing about that. And that's that every time we would talk to someone about this red string, they would mention that it had to be tied around Rachel's tomb. They'd even tell us that it had to be dyed red. But then they'd say, but there are other things that have to be done to it. Right. Like, they would just leave it up like it's this big mystery that right. they couldn't explain A to very us. loud dot, dot, dot on <laughs> exactly, there. Exactly, yeah. A pregnant pause. <laughs> yes, indeed. So after we had gone through the bookstore, we headed out to the courtyard and I was excited about the free coffee and tea that i was promised and ross was it there well there were tea bags that were very varied and impressive but there was no hot water there was no hot water so yeah then we were ushered into this hall we'd been there before but it was a a very large kind of conference room a lot of tables Mm -hmm. i didn't count but maybe like 10 or 12 tables 
Oh, I think more. Really? Yeah. Okay. I would say upwards Imagine of as many tables as you want to in that room. A lot. And and they were packed. Uh, we were trying to find two seats at the same table, and our friendly mentor, each table comes with a mentor who can answer your questions afterwards, Marcy, she found two extra chairs for us and set them up. Yes, um, which she was probably sorry for by the end of it. <laughs> right. So we, we sat down and they asked us to introduce ourselves to the others around us, um, tell them what we did and tell them a secret question that we had, a secret one. Yes. And I didn't really have any secret questions. I mean, most of the things of mine that are secrets are statements. Right. Yeah. Or something that you wanted to address today. So yeah, I was kind of scrambling in my mind to think of a secret and I was sitting next to this very friendly guy named Tony. And so we chatted a bit. And I was expressing, honestly, that, you know, I'm a bit skeptical about this and I'm you know, going to ask some more hard questions. And so so David Phillips, the speaker, then came up and he immediately asked us, so what are some of these questions that you're you know, trying to address? And so people were, uh, people were throwing out ideas like, how do I live without fear? And what's my purpose? And so I raised my hand and he picked on me. And I said, how do you blend science and mysticism? And he said that's one of his favorite questions and that he would get to that. I don't remember him getting to that. I don't that. think he got to no. that. <laughs> um, My question was how was the universe or multiverse formed? Oh. Um, and the woman I was talking to just kind of looked at me like, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> right. So he went on to say things about what Kabbalah's you know, main goals are. So the first thing he said is that uh, Kabbalah teaches that the only goal in life is bliss. Which was later contradicted because at one point he said that all religions and all all teachings, all moral teachings basically teach you that the point is to love one another and serve one another. So it's either bliss or to serve one another. We're not sure. It's all sound pretty nice. So <laughs> he, uh, he brought up a whiteboard and he asked us all to list the things that we really wanted in life. And so, again, people were throwing out things like health and confidence and love or a house by the water, one lady near us was very insistent on. And he wrote one for himself. He wrote Mercedes Benz. Yes. And he even listed like the model number. Of right. It or the exact one that he wanted. Oh boy, this is getting very materialistic all of a sudden. Right. But then he assured us that all these things in life, you know, all these things on the board, what do they have in common? What do they have in common? Right. And so, you know, I was starting to think, oh, well, they're non-material, except then I saw the Mercedes Benz. Right. And the house by the water. Right. Uh, so then he, you know, after stumping us with this, he said, well, they are all... Basically, they're all things that get you something else. So you you want the Mercedes Benz, but you want it because it gives you a sense of confidence. Mm. Or you want the house by the water, but only because it gives you security. Um, so they're all stepping stones on the way to something else was, I think, the term he used. Okay. But then, you know, he was making the underlying point that none of these things are physical. And Right. He went on to say, yeah, none of the things are physical because they are all made of light. Yes. So apparently, and this was a major point of the talk, is that 99% of reality is light. And there's just 1% that are the physical things. And the physical is kind of degenerate and lowly, and we shouldn't be focusing on that. And he was making the uh, sports analogy that nothing is interesting unless there's an adversary. We have our own adversary that keeps us from looking past this 1% of the physical to the 99% that is light and energy. Right. He, he, was, he said that all matter is made up of 
energy, therefore it is made up of light. <laughs> therefore it is not material. Therefore it's not material. <laughs> yeah, we sort of wondered what these words meant anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Meanings kind of went out uh, the door. At one point, you said, "Stop me if I don't make sense." Right, and we and we were waiting. We were we trying were to stop of, him, but sort of waiting on the edges of our seats for a moment go. to stop him. I should say that this guy it. was very, he's very charismatic, very oh, attractive, sure. good-looking guy. No wedding ring, ladies. It's amazing how women <laughs> yeah. notice that. I I never pick up on that. Okay, not married, ladies. <laughs> Oh, yeah, more about the adversary aspect. So he was saying that we don't want to watch a game where you're just seeing Michael Jordan make slam dunk after slam dunk. We want to see our favorite sports stars overcoming some kind of obstacle. So in the same way, we have an adversary in life that we need to overcome. Right, and it blocks us from the light, from the true reality. Yes. So that's one of the key elements is that the the world that we see is actually the quote-unquote 1% reality. It's not the reality of God. The reality of God is the 99% reality, which, of course, is made up of light. We were, of course, listening for kind of science-based statements. You know, anything that was very definite knowledge that could be either Mm -hmm. agreed with or refuted. And so he said, for example, the old canard, we only use a portion of our brains. Now, usually... I hear that we only use 10% of our brains. And he had downgraded this to 6% of our brains. And someone in the audience someone yelled Someone shouted, 4, 4%. <laughs> and and so, he said, okay, 4%. <laughs> and so we lean into each other like, do I hear three? You know? <laughs> right. you know, that's not true at all. We use all of our brains. Also, he said, I was reading in the Zohar recently that the sun is green. Did you know that? The sun is green. And then challenged us, go look it up. The sun is green. So we did. So we did. Yeah. And if you look at the output of the sun, you know, in terms of the wavelengths of electromagnetic spectrum, then sure enough, it does peak around the 500 nanometer range, which is on the verge of blue and green. And that means absolutely nothing because <laughs> you know, the sun puts out a ton of radiation. We see it as uh, yellow visually. Um, but, you know, to, to their credit, uh, plants are green because they can absorb a lot of the sun's energy that way. Anyways. Yes. To Kabbalah's credit, plants are green. You heard it here. Yes. But, but it's so common, like, with these uh, claims that the ancient truths, you know, foretold future scientific discoveries that uh, they suffer because they're not predictive. They're postdictive. Right. Yes. You, uh- after after the scientific discoveries are made, then all of a sudden you discover, aha, that was predicted in my holy text, or or if it's not holy, then my predictive text, right. and um and then uh, so it becomes useless if you have no predictive power. Yeah. So why do we have to struggle for hundreds of years to find it out the hard way if it was known all along? Right. It just uses it as a trump card later. But, oh, look, I figured it out. Right. You know. Why is it always figured out in the lab and not the pulpit? Right. Another one of these was that um, the Zohar says that the earth is round and found this out 1,500 years before Columbus. And uh, then I pointed out to our mentor that Eratosthenes discovered the circumference of the earth quite accurately in the third century BCE. So, Which she just sort of nodded got the about. And also the Zohar, of course, tells us about good and bad cholesterol. <laughs> so that's useful. Right. That's important now, medical information. I'd be very curious to know what word was translated as cholesterol. Cholesterol. <laughs> That which blocketh the veins. Uh, Other kind of bold claims included uh, the claim that Kabbalah is not a religious center and doesn't have religious teachings. Yeah, and that was actually said to us. The direct quote is, the Kabbalah Center is not a religious organization. 
And our mentor repeated that to us um, and told us that Kabbalah is compatible with any religion, even atheism. Which seems to be true as far as their teaching goes, that you can believe any religion and add Kabbalah kind of on top of it. Uh, I have a hard time seeing how atheism could yes. be compatible with that. But. Since Kabbalah teaches that there is a God. Right. And atheists generally believe there is a lack of evidence of a God. That seems to be a problem. It did seem that this system might be um, compelling for someone who's who's in a rich environment, lives in the middle of L.A., say, and wouldn't be very useful for someone in sub-Saharan Africa who is starving. Yeah, and very much uh, this seemed to reflect kind of the prosperity gospel. This kind of positive thinking can affect how the world works. Carrie even asked our mentor directly. Uh, yeah, I, I asked her about... The secret. I said that it sounded pretty similar to the secret, and she said, uh, "Yeah, you know, a lot of these things, these truths, they have many names. Um, you might call it Kabbalah or Kabbalah, as she sometimes pronounces it. Um, you might call it Kabbalah. You might call it the secret. You might call it quantum physics. Um, but they're all the same teaching." And I said. Well, okay, um, but the secret is like $12, and your class is $270, so why should I go to your class? Which she kind of just said, oh, you should come to our class because there are other students there. It's way more fun. Yeah, after the talk and all throughout the presentation, we were constantly encouraged to join this Power of Kabbalah class, uh, only $270 for 10 classes. And that was, you know, repeatedly sold to us. Yes, emphasized pretty uh, strongly. Uh, but to their credit, you know, we got into this event for free. For free. Twice. Right. And so, you know, they do No have, coffee, though. <laughs> right, no coffee. But there were yummy snacks. We did have, there were like chocolate-covered pretzels and these like salty almonds. And boy, was I really working on those. <laughs> I ate a lot of them. <laughs> um, so our, our mentor, Marcy, um, she had been studying there for a couple of years. She said that she started out studying on the phone um, and ended up moving to L.A. to study in person at the Kabbalah Center. So this had obviously been a big deal in her life. And she said that she had seen all these improvements in her life since she started studying. So I asked her to give us an example. The only example she could think of was getting a job that she liked. Getting a job that she really loved, That's nice. um, which, which is great. But, you know, I have a job I really love and... You have a job you really love. Now, she had a very take-it-or-leave-it uh, attitude about you know, Kabbalah. So she didn't wear the red string. She didn't feel that she particularly needed it. And and she seemed to take that kind of approach to anybody joining it. Like, ah, oh, you know, whatever works for you well, you know, take it. Whatever makes you happy. That seems to be a refrain around the building. Right. Whatever makes you happy. Yeah, if that makes you happy, then that's fine. What? In fact, she said the same thing about the secret to me. She said, if the secret makes you happy, then do that. And pretty soon after that, a lot of our table left probably to go buy the secret. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper. And the poor mentor, you know, everybody else kind of exited quietly and But oh no. Oh no, we stuck around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess that's why we Yeah. So yeah. she she gave us a really hard sell on these these Tuesday Thursday classes. She kept asking whether we were available on Tuesdays and, and Thursdays. We, when we would ask questions that were kind of probing, she would say, "Well, you know, you should talk to someone at the Power of Kabbalah class." Right. And Especially when I mentioned that that question about, well, what about people in the third world? You know, if this is really universally true, then it should be helpful to everyone on this planet, not just the rich people. So what does someone um, in the third world do with this information? And she did bring up some charitable things that Kabbalah does in um, 
and uh, developing nations, uh, brought up a program called Raising Malawi, which does appear to be a charitable organization and um, focuses on poverty in Malawi. So that was kind of reassuring, but didn't really tell us, but how do those people use this system to their benefit? You know, this is how you're using Kabbalah to benefit others, and that's great. But what? how does this information help these people? When we would try to ask about more esoteric uh, teachings of Kabbalah, they would, you know, really kind of back away from those questions. Like I, I asked about the sphero, the uh, ten circles that are connected. It's this symbol that you saw all over the building and the tracks that they sent us, and it's supposed to represent like the ten different attributes of God and be one of the teachings of the Book of Formation. But uh, she didn't want to talk about that and said, "Oh, really? You can learn more about that if you uh, attend the Power of Kabbalah class." So that was really the end of our visit. Yeah. Um- So after we had left, we were told that we would have this follow-up with a man named Yosef. Um, We had actually asked to talk to a teacher uh, after the class. So we both got these emails from Yosef um, asking when we'd want to talk. Yosef did contact me, and I decided to just give him honest feedback because he was asking what I thought of the class, and I was just honest. You know, Well, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I was looking for something more consistent with a scientific view of the world. So I kept asking him about scientific things because he would say some statements that just sounded kind of unjustified. For example, when I first asked, why did it take so long for these secrets to be shared? He said, well, we are in the sixth millennium, and so we're now ready for these truths. I said, wait, sixth millennium? Like, are you saying that the earth has only been around for 6,000 years? And he said, oh, well, it could be thousands of years. Well, what about all the teachings of evolution and the findings of science? How do those reconcile with the teachings of Kabbalah? And he said, oh, well, science confirms many of the teachings of Kabbalah. He talked about the sun being green, and he talked about, well, he talked about the sun being green. When I pressed him on, you know, what about the the fact, the scientific fact that the earth is about 4.5 billion years old? He said, I don't know what to say. If that makes you happy to believe that the earth is 4 Mm -hmm. billion years old, then I'm happy for you. And so then I kind of pressed him on the point, well, so is science only right when it agrees with the Kabbalah or confirms what the Kabbalah has to say? And he kind of backed off of that, kept saying that, well, Kabbalah is very simple. We don't focus so much on the science. We focus on being happy. You know, it's just like how computers, they only use one and zero, which are the connections between all the nations. (laughs) (laughs) i have no idea what that means i don't know what that means either yeah make of that whatever you want but i was saying well all the same numbers are still there there it's just a binary system like it's represented by ones and zeros but it's as complex as you want it to be that kind of fell on deaf ears uh he also was saying that anybody who was influential or famous was somehow secretly studying kabbalah Right, and we got some wonderful examples. Einstein. Right, Wallace. Um, did you know that? I didn't know. <laughs> um, Leonardo da Vinci. Yes, I believe was attributed as a Kabbalist, and and Newton. Oh, okay. He gave the example of Michelangelo and said that oh, there's even clues in the Sistine Chapel. You know, everybody always says it's an apple tree that they were eating the fruits from, but. It is revealed in the Zohar that it is not. And on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, it is indeed not an apple Just some generic fruit kind of looks like a persimmon or something. And so I said, well, the Bible itself doesn't say apple. That was just kind of a later misconstrual. Uh, That was kind of the essence of my talk with Yosef. I kind of ended by saying, well, would you agree that truth cannot contradict truth? And he said, oh, yes, absolutely. And I said, okay, well, I feel the teachings of the Kabbalah Center do disagree with the truths of science. And we ended it there. And he was happy that you were happy with that. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) 
Um, so to Yosef's credit, he didn't seem to give you too hard a sell on the classes, it oh. sounds like. Oh, no, actually, I must say he did. Okay. For sure. So I took a different tack from you uh, in, in contacting Yosef. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wrote back and said that I had a, um, a personal concern that I wanted help with. And this is not true, what I told them. But I told them that I had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And what did they think I could do to, um, to help myself without going the route of Western medicine? Right, because we wanted to see, are they going to tell you, oh, Kabbalah can solve all your problems, which would right. be very bad. Or would they actually tell you to seek medical advice? To, exactly, as one should. Um, so at first I didn't get a response. It took quite, quite some time. Um, when I finally did, they kind of kept passing me to other people. Um, but finally I did, did get a response um, uh, after a couple of weeks uh, telling me that I should go and seek uh, medical attention and that they didn't recommend seeking a spiritual answer in place of a medical answer. That's, so that's that good. was good news. Did they also say, you know, well, you should also be coming to the classes or make any kind of sell? Um, no, not really. You know, I think that they, uh, because of the tone of my email, I think that they expected that I was already sort of sold on that angle, Mm. but they didn't push it any harder than that. Well, good for them. So, uh, a good friend of ours runs a nonprofit and she was able to help us look up the Kabbalah Center's most recent tax filings, which are public record. And admittedly, neither Ross or I are trained in nonprofit law, but a quick review of their filings showed that while the Kabbalah Center teachers may tell their newest visitors that they aren't a religious organization, they're telling the IRS something quite different. Under reason for public charity status, the Kabbalah Center chose the option, a church, convention of churches, or association of churches. And in explaining which major services should qualify the Center for tax-exempt status, they wrote, provided lectures and religious services to individuals in connection with the teachings of Kabbalah. Hmm. So so one thing that I thought was peculiar about our interactions at both of these meetings was that um, we knew that Kabbalah had come out of the Jewish tradition, but it was almost never mentioned. The Torah wasn't mentioned. Uh, Judaism was barely mentioned. Abraham was mentioned. Um, and when we brought this up, it was sort of swept under the table, uh, almost in a hush-hush way. They don't seem to want to be associated with Judaism at all, even though we saw many men with long beards and yarmulkes on their head. Uh, but especially our first mentor, uh, Rhoda. Rhoda, right, was saying very emphatically, oh, no, this is not Jewish at all. Right. Other greatest hits from Rhoda include uh, saying that all the teachings of Kabbalah have been proven absolutely within the last 20 years. Yeah, which is, which is pretty amazing. Um, and, and when we asked her for examples like uh, the red string, she had said, protect you from the evil eye. So right. I said, okay, has, has, that, has there been a study that's proven that in the last 10 years? And she said, I'm sure there is. Very confident, that lady. Uh, and, like, we asked her about astrology as well. Like, you know, we're very science-minded people, uh, but you're talking about astrology here. Do you actually believe that the sun and the other the planets control our actions and her response was oh yeah that's all been proven by science <laughs> oh, oh okay. yeah oh well great <laughs> pack up our stuff <laughs> right. marcy um she on, on the other hand she wanted to talk about um astrology and uh she mentioned that um 
that your your signs play into your personality. Right. And I said, okay, so is it the same sign that I've always thought I grew up under? Like, I've always been told I'm a Cancer. Is it the same in in Kabbalah? And um, and she said, oh yeah, yeah, but it's it's not like you think. It's not like I'm a Scorpio, so therefore I'm this or this. It's more like I'm I'm a Scorpio, so I'm angry. Yeah. So it's like what's the, what's the difference? Right. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, so, yeah, the answer to all of this was always, oh, well, you'll find out more if you take the power of Kabbalah class, sign up for it, and we'll answer all your hard questions. And the class was $270 for 10 weeks, so $27 a class. Yeah, so you got to pony up. And we're trying to see how far we can get into these things without putting up a lot of money. Right. Partly because how much money do we actually want to give them, and partly because, you know, it gets expensive after a while. Yeah, absolutely. Um so basically, I think our conclusion was that our, inter- our interactions with the Kabbalah Center were um, relatively harmless, but a quick way to lose your money. Yeah, definitely. So, Ross, what would you give this on a pseudoscience rating where one is something completely scientific like the theory of evolution and 10 is something completely unscientific like you are made of goat sperm? <laughs> All right, off the top of my head, I'm <laughs> off the top of my head. I'm gonna give it something like a like a six. You know, I've heard way kookier presentations, but certainly there's a lot there that is not scientific. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you there. I think I give it somewhere between a a five and a six okay. goat sperms. <laughs> is that our rating scale? <laughs> it is now. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, creepiness rating. Uh, how how creepy would you say that these people were? I didn't feel really creeped out at all. I would say um, maybe a two. I, I felt, you know, I, it was certainly unlikely things I was hearing, but I didn't feel like, get me out of here. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd say maybe a little north of that. I'll say three to four, somewhere in that range, because uh, certainly the speaker had this uh, kind of, I want to lead a cult, please, aspect to him mm-hmm. that, that freaked me out a little bit. And and then, you know, the, the persistence of the follow-up, you know, was pretty strong and certainly the sell for the classes. So I'll say three or four. All right. Pocket drainer value. Yeah, I would give it fairly high because there was a lot of emphasis on the money and a lot of caginess about, you know, our secrets that you can only learn if you pay up, essentially. But certainly not as high as some other um, places you could go in town. And so I'm going to say <laughs> I'll give it maybe a seven or eight. Okay, I don't think I'd go that high. No? But I am thinking of those other places in town. Um, Me thinks you could put in as much money as you want to there, and I think they would find things for you to give them money for. <laughs> That's probably true. But I think that the average person who goes there won't, won't feel um, necessarily gypped. Okay. So I'm going to give it a 6.1. You know, you know, you're probably right. Well, I'll just... I'll go down to seven. seven. (laughs) Do I fear here for? (laughs) Right. All right. So uh, what would you say then is the danger rating? How dangerous do you feel this place is? My feeling is that it's barely, that that it's maybe intellectually dangerous, but not actually going to do you much harm. Yeah, I would say two or three on that scale because they did put the little disclaimer on the bottle. And, you know, uh, some of them, it depends on who you talk to, but it seems like some of them will give you the right advice to go seek out a professional and that this is really just this kind of happy-go-lucky, you know, seeking happiness 
addition to your life that doesn't forsake other things. Right. And for so many of these things, uh, maybe most of the adherents take it with a grain of salt without even acknowledging that. And then the people who take it very, very seriously might be in the worst trouble. Right. But it doesn't seem like anybody's really pushing you to take it too seriously. Right. Absolutely. Whatever makes you happy. So Exactly. That's, that's Follow your bliss. Uh, did you have a favorite moment? Um, yes. My favorite moment was definitely um, giving the woman the evil eye and having her <laughs> having her just completely ignore me, maybe because it was soaked up by the bracelet. But, man, I wish you guys could see the, the glare I was giving this woman. That's great. I'm, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, this is an important point if you're doing this sort of thing. Do not look at each other. And I did that once during the talk. Yes. Which is that I had to suppress it. I can't even remember what started it, but don't. Uh, don't look at a rational person when <laughs> irrational things are being said. <laughs> yes, you will laugh. Um, all right. I'd say my favorite moment or moments were our times with Rhoda, the first mentor. Ah, uh, Rhoda. She was just so entertaining because she was so self-assured I about wish she everything were here now. she said. <laughs> Me too. She'd be a great addition to our podcast. <laughs> So we should also let our listeners know that this is a very brief, very limited, and possibly slanted view of the teachings of Kabbalah. Yes, there are many branches of Kabbalah, and we only explored one. Uh, We used research methods available to virtually everyone, and your experience might be completely different. But that said, we probably won't return unless there's coffee next time. That's it for our show. We would like to thank our producer and engineer, Ian Kramer. Who can't say bye to you because he doesn't have a mic. He says bye. He's thinking it. <laughs> He's waving. He's waving. <laughs> Our theme music was written and performed by Brian Keith Dalton, also known as Mr. Deity. Check out MrDeity.com to see what's going on with everyone's favorite bumbling god. Are you sure it's not a deity? <laughs> it's the same thing, Ross. I know. Get a thesaurus. <laughs> Thanks to the Center for Inquiry Los Angeles for hosting us. Check out CFIWest.org for the center's upcoming talks and events. And remember that the views expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Center for Inquiry or its affiliates. If you're interested in finding us on the web, visit onopodcast.com. You can also find us on the Facebooks. But before we go, we have a puzzle for our listeners. It's our hint of the week. Oh, Get it right, and you'll not only have a clue about what our next show is about, but the first person to get it right and include their mailing address will receive something cheap and useless in their mailbox. Shit. <laughs> this week's clue is, I hopey I don't lose my hearing. Send us an email with what you think our next topic is to clue at onopodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can think outside the box. But don't leave the evidence inside it.